Please stand and read New City Catechism questions 46 and 47 with me. Question 46. What is the Lord's Supper? Christ demanded all Christians to eat bread and to drink from the cup in thankful remembrance of him and his death. The Lord's Supper is a celebration of the presence of God in our midst, bringing us into communion with God and with one another, feeding and nourishing our souls. It also anticipates the day when we will eat and drink with Christ in his Father's kingdom. 1 Corinthians 11, 23-26 for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Question 47. Does, Does the Lord's Supper add anything to Christ's atoning work? No. Christ died once for all. The Lord's Supper is a covenant meal celebrating Christ's atoning work, as it is also a means of strengthening our faith as we look to him and a foretaste of the future feast. But those who take part with unrepentant hearts eat and drink judgment on themselves. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Welcome, everybody. It's good to see you all. Glad you're here today. We're continuing a series on the ordinances, which were baptism and communion. So I talked in general about baptism and communion, and then last week spoke more in detail about baptism. And today I'll speak in more detail about these two questions on the Lord's Supper. I want to look at basically a brief history of Passover. We're going to look a little bit of what Passover was, a Passover meal. Then I want to look at the Lord instituting his supper, the Lord's Supper being instituted, and those changes from the Passover to the Lord's Supper, all those changes that Jesus made. Then I want to look at three aspects of what communion means to us, the Lord's Supper. I want to look at some past aspects of what he's asking us to do when we take communion together. 
and there's some present happenings when we take the Lord's Supper together, and then there's some future uh, aspects to when we take communion together. We're going to look at those three. That sounds like a lot, so let's get started. Basically, a brief history of Passover. In 1 Corinthians 11, in our text today, it started out by saying, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed. So there's this setting that the Lord Jesus on the night. So what night was that? What's the setting of this time period? The night was the night of the Passover meal. So let's look at Passover just a little bit briefly. Judgment is coming. God warns that judgment is coming on Egypt, that Israel will face that same judgment uh, if they are not protected somehow. So God establishes Passover. He establishes this meal. God gives these orders to them. How are they going to survive this judgment of God coming, this angel of death that is going to come? And God gives this meal as the answer. You all are going to celebrate this meal in your home. Here's how you're going to be protected. By going and eat this meal. But it's very specific. And it had to do with a lamb. This lamb uh, must be killed a certain way. Its blood must be put on the lintel and the doorpost of your home. So the lintel's the top, where you mark the top of your home in the doorway with the blood of this lamb and the two side doorposts of their home. They were protected by the blood. And when the death angel came and saw the blood applied that way, he passed over that judgment would not come upon the house. So we should understand those basic aspects that of Passover. Yeah, you know, Moses in Exodus 12, 23 says this, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike Passover. That's what Passover, when I see the blood, I will pass over. Not face this judgment. They were sheltered by this meal. They were sheltered by the blood of the lamb. They were to cook this lamb very specific ways. They were roast it. They were to eat this lamb. They were to consume it, take it within them. And Moses establishes this meal uh, to be remembered this night forever. And the scripture says, in the night that Jesus was betrayed, there was a setting here. This is in the night of the Passover meal. Exodus 12, 14 says, This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. So this is established. This was something they did yearly, celebrating Passover, until the night that Jesus was betrayed. This is the setting. Passover meal. Jesus is hosting this Passover meal. He has set up this Passover meal. They know where they're going in this upper room, where they're meeting. All the Gospels record this meal that they're having.
to what Jesus says. Jesus is in the position of host. And this Passover meal is with his disciples. We know specifically, but Jesus begins to make changes. Okay? So Deuteronomy had talked about the bread. Deuteronomy 16.3 said, You shall eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat it with unleavened bread. And it's called there right after that, the bread of affliction. One of the things they would say when they presented the bread, they would say, this is the bread of affliction. And that's what Deuteronomy 16 says, the bread of affliction. When you came out of the land of Egypt, you haste. Jesus, as the presider over this meal now, takes the bread, and instead of saying, this is the bread of affliction that we ate in the wilderness, he takes the bread and says, this is my body. I mean, what is Jesus saying? He's saying very specifically that this bread is no longer about Israel's affliction, but it's about his affliction. This is my affliction. It will be my body that is given for you. It will be my body that will be broken for you. So all of the foreshadowing what Passover meant is now coming down to Jesus. He's changing the Passover beginning. He's instituting the Lord's Supper. He is in authority. He's bringing the authority of the meaning of the Passover into himself. The bread and the cup are given these new and fulfilled meanings, but there is no mention anywhere about the land. People of Israel and the prophets had spoken and known of the Passover land. They knew how they sacrificed it. They knew that they brought it in. They knew how they ate it, but they knew that they had to do it year after year, and they knew that it never really took care of once and for all the issue of sin. The having to do that every year reminded them over and over again that their sins were still prevalent and before the Lord, and that they must do this. So this bread of affliction of the Israelites now is in Jesus. Jesus is radically changing it. He's changing uh, the meaning of it and the fulfillment of what the lamb is to be. He's saying it's to be the bread. It is to be in his body, the body of Christ. And not just a lamb that is given to cover the sins and just to pass over for another year of the sin. It's not something that they must remember in that way but a once and for all sacrifice that will deal the death blow of sin, wash sin away. And so Hebrews explains this Christ sacrifice once and for all. Our scripture that we read from 1 Peter 3.18, this Christ died once for all. He dealt with it. This is what communion and the Lord's Supper mean. Hebrews 10, 3 through 10 says, but in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. That's what they were doing. They were reminded of their sins every year. For they knew, and this is what the scripture says, that, that it was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. They knew it couldn't really take them away. 
But the scripture goes on in Hebrews 10, verse 5, and says, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. A body. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you've taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written in me in the scroll of the book. And when he said this, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices, offerings, and burnt offerings, and sin offerings, these offerings that were given according to the law. He added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first, the fulfillment of the the Passover into the Lord's covenant, new covenant being instituted, he does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that, we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus. This is my body, by the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. There is a sacrifice once for all in the body of Jesus that the Passover lamb that they sacrificed could never accomplish. It was a yearly reminder, year after year, of their sin. Jesus is going, now it's not just bread of, of our flesh and food, it's the bread of my flesh. I will accomplish something in my body that the lamb that we offer could never accomplish for you. I will take care of the sin once very powerful, very powerful unity in the Lord's Supper that he instituted himself and he commanded us to do and to partake of. So Jesus, he takes this bread, he gives thanks to it, he breaks it, and he says, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup, saying this is the cup of the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. You see, Jesus the person of Jesus, the body of Jesus, his life, his perfect will done to Father. Remember that Hebrew scripture, I have come to do your will. It's a body, the body, the person of Jesus that perfectly satisfied the will of God. I have come to do your will and to carry it out perfectly for you. No one's been able to do that. No one's been able to satisfy God's holy standard. No one's been able to satisfy the Lamb. The, 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 the sacrifice for the sins. No one has been able to fully satiate that. And Jesus is saying, my body will satiate that. My blood will satiate that. I am the Lamb of God. I am the body, the bread. I am the blood, the wine. Your sin will not just be passed over for another year, but your sin will be washed away once and for all. This is the prophecies. Your sins, though they are scarlet, will be made white as snow. When's that going to happen? Jesus is saying it on that night when he was betrayed. He's saying, it's happening. Do this. You're going to always do this in remembrance of me. When I wipe away the sin, wash away the sin of your mind, say, Lord, for you, I will be a rich of sanctification. Do this in remembrance of me. So we have this past present and future aspect. The past aspect is, do this in remembrance of me. Be thankful of that. Do this in remembrance of me. I will recall. I will remember when. I will remember when he died for me. I will remember when he went to the cross for me. I will look at this cross and remember when he died for me. In 
this powerful culmination of what all of history is speaking of happened at the cross when he died, he went to the cross for you. I will always remember that. J.C. Ryle, the commentator, said, let's settle it firmly, though, in our minds that the Christ's supper was not given as a means either of justification or of conversion. So this isn't a sacrament that saves us. This is a sacrament and an ordinance that God gave to believers to partake of because they are believers. J.C. Ryle goes ahead and confirms that. He says, communion is for the believer, not for the unbeliever. It doesn't save us. Communion doesn't save us. It's a means that imparts the saving grace of God by remembering, by us bringing into remembrance Christ's death for us. We remember his death when he tells us come. So as believers, we take it. And we know what the cup means. We know what the blood means. We know what the bread means. It's Christ and what he did for us. It's also a sacrifice about something that happens in the present. Something happens right now. We're not just remembering, recalling, but something is actually happening when we're taking communion together. Now, Tim Keller says this, when he's talking about that what happens is there is this renewed union with Christ in the sacraments. When we take communion, we are remembered of that we are united with Christ in his death. And there's also a connection and a union with the body of Christ. This is what Paul is teaching in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, verses 18 through 34. He's talking about communion, taking the Lord's Supper, and what happens there. He's talking about not just recalling Jesus' death, but in doing that, that something present and current happens in a body in the church when they take communion and the Lord's Supper together. What exactly is it? Let's dig into it a little bit. Let's touch into that present aspect of the Lord's Supper. Well, there's a Greek word called uh, synerkomai, and what it means is come together. So when you read 1 Corinthians 11, 18 through 34, you will see this word in the Greek five times if you were reading it. And, and, and in NIV, they might change it slightly in the words, so you might not recognize that you're actually saying that word. Paul is seven times, but that word uh, means to come together. ESV does a good job of that. Each time that word is used, it says come together. When you come together, and then when you come together, you do this. But when you come together, you should be doing this. And then at the very end, after he instructs, towards the end of 1 Corinthians um, 11, in the final verses, he says, so when you come together, so there's this coming together aspect. There's this union aspect that happens when you come together as a church and take the Lord's Supper. What is this? What is this coming together? You're, 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 you're remembering your union with Christ, and he's strengthening that. It's going to be a strengthening meal by faith. He's strengthening your union, but he's also strengthening your union with other believers. This is what's happening during communion. Now, earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul had said this. Hear the word of the Lord in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not participation in the blood of Christ? So there's something happening there, participation. Now, here he's going to use this word, homonia in the Greek. A lot of you might have heard of this word. It's a, 
deep fellowship and intimacy, a participation in something's happening when we as a body take this together uh, to God and something is happening with one another. This is what Paul is saying here. Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? Question mark. The answer to that is yes, it is. And then he says, the bread that we break, is it not a koinonia in the body of Christ? Is it not a participation of fellowshipping? You're fellowshipping with Christ and you're fellowshipping with one another in a very intimate way. This is what's happening now. This might be like, I don't remember that. I'll take me and I remember is that familiar? Okay. This is what the scriptures teaching. So we can grow in our depth of meaning of what it means when we partake of the cup and we partake of the bread together. These are some of the things that are happening. Now, scripture tried to explain this komunia and this coming together, Greek word that's mentioned five times in here, that there's this mysterious aspect to the Lord's Supper about our oneness with Christ and our oneness as a body, that we're renewing that. You know, there's things in this world that attack us. There's things that just constantly draw us away from our union. But there's things that constantly attack our love of Jesus. Remember the church in, in Revelation about, you know, forsaking and losing your first love? That love that you have, love can grow cold. Love can, the, the meal that we're drawn to helps reestablish that over and over and over again. This is a meal that we can take over and over again uh, as believers, and it warms our heart. It can warm our hearts by faith. This is what's happening. I'm remembering my union with Christ. I miss you. Who else knows? You know what? You are united to Christ in his love. I'm united to you. I'm united to you as my brothers and sisters, my fellow family. We're united. We're, we're taking this saying, we believe in the body. The body of Jesus that was once offered once for all for sins. The body of Jesus that perfectly did the will of God. That perfectly shed his own blood for us. And you're taking it too. With us together. So we're uniting with Christ. And we're renewing that, that idea that we're one together as a family. Jesus wanted us to do this. Jesus commanded that we do it. He instituted it. And there's this past aspect, there's this present aspect. If you want to dig a little bit deeper into the present aspect. Present aspect, Leo Schuster said, think of what it means, the Lord's Supper. It's not just a symbolic reminder of what Jesus has done, though it is that, it does remind us of his death for us, but it's also a present communion with one another and with Jesus. This reminds us of the present communion with one another that we have and that we have with Christ. It reminds us over and over again when we partake of it, our need for it, our desire for more of Jesus, more of him, more of his love, more of his love for one another. So we take this communion by faith that Jesus meets with us, he unites us as a community, nourishing us with himself, strengthening us to love and obey him. This is that present dimension. Now, Jesus began to touch on this in John chapter 6. I know this is an in-depth chapter where a lot is happening in John, but I'm just going to touch on it briefly to bring out this present aspect of Jesus being present at communion in his blood and his body. Now, he says some very difficult things here. 
First, he's talking about being the bread of life, but kind of going for it. Then he says, You know that manna that fell in the wilderness? That was me. I'm the manna. I'm the bread of life. And so they start packing, wait, there's a huge crowd. He's just fed, you know, all those people, a huge crowd together, and they begin to wonder who to get this big crowd. And so as he gets into the teaching and it gets harder and harder, he comes to the point in verse 53 where he doesn't back down from this about being the bread, but he then says, Truly I say to you, John 6 53, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. That been the crowds, really. And see, Jesus says hard things. And he says hard things to them, he says hard things to us. And we're either going to go, no, we didn't think about that. We didn't see the hard things. No, that doesn't, that hits me. That's not, that's not what I do. This isn't the Messiah that I see coming at all. We didn't say he was going to come. No. The disciples kind of stuck with him. And he's like, are you going to leave me too? He went up to They don't understand it either. And they say it's a really hard saying. And Peter says, How are you saying Jesus? And he's like, Oh man, he's like, they don't get it. And there's a lot of explanation, there's a lot of things that are happening there, but in John 6, 6 64, it's a long chapter, John 6, verse 64, he begins to answer Peter a little bit. Hard to understand Jesus' answer. You've got to read into those two. But he says, There are some. 663, John 6, 63 says, it is the spirit who gives life. He could tell you to eat his flesh and his blood. But now he's explaining to Peter and the disciples, and he says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. So there's a deeper meaning not talking about um, actually eating his flesh and eating and drinking his blood. Now, the Catholics believe in communion, and some other uh, people believe that the priest prays over this, and that they do what's called transubstantiation. They actually believe that it does become the body and the blood of Jesus, and you can eat it without believing it. Uh, Protestants don't believe that. We don't believe that. We believe that basically what he's saying here is that the words that he's speaking to them is spirit and life. That there's a meaning in it that is mysterious and deep, and he wants them to know it. And Peter wants them to know it too. But then in the next verse, in John 6, 64, he says, but there are some of you who do not believe. Now this is kind of where the intimate setting of the crowd is like, he's talking to his disciples here. He's telling them that there's some of you that don't believe. He said, uh, and he, said, and he says there, but Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who, who would betray him. So he's talking about eating his flesh, drinking his blood, and then he's explaining it to Peter that there's this deeper spiritual meaning that has a spiritual meaning, spiritual life to it. And Peter's pressing in. He wants to know. This is a hard saying. You know, there's a lot of saying that Jesus said. And the disciples had to wrestle with it and say, whoa, you know, am I going to go along with that or am I out? There's this that happens all the time. Jesus brought it along and so it's a little difficult saying. But 
go along. Well, Judas is going along, but he ain't really asking any questions. He is, he's just got this thing set, like the other disciples kind of had, that Jesus would be this military conqueror, they were already fugitive and tried to let he was in it for that. And we also see that he's in it for the money, but the money we'll see that later. But we see that he's in it for all these false motives, and Jesus is exposing that, but at the same time, he's wooing it. He's saying, he's still saying, like, there's someone you don't believe. And what this eating my flesh and body means that you have to receive my words into you. My words can't be just like you're going through the motions and acting like you're following along with us. You have to actually be feeding on me and and and, and in this mysterious way taking the words that I speak to you, that they are empowered spiritually and they are life. My words are life. Now see and Peter, he's wrestling with this and he wants it and he knows it. He goes, he's saying your words are spirit and your words are life. And we have no one else. We're left, we're we're all in with you. We've got to figure this out. You're not wrong. I'm wrong. Somehow I got to get to it. Judas isn't doing that. He's just processing it along. Anyway, you know, this is what's going to happen. This is who the Messiah is. This is what's going to happen. He's going along real similar to the Pharisees, but he's actually not leaving. He's still tagging along. He's just waiting for it to happen like he wants it to happen. So in the upper room, he's washing the feet in John chapter 13. And Jesus says to them, John 13, 10 through 11 says, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but he is completely clean, and you are clean. He's having this discussion again with Peter, but then he says, But not all of you are clean. Are you washing your feet? He's like, I need to wash my feet. Did he lose his feet? Did he miss at this point? And he says, But not all of you are clean. And in John 13, 11 he says, For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you. That's why he said, you and Kate, Judas is not in. Judas is following along. He hasn't drank of the blood of Jesus. He hasn't eaten of his body. He hasn't taken his word in and said, I'll submit to it no matter what. I'll work on understanding it. When you say hard things, Jesus, you have the words of life. This is what communion is. We can either take it in faith and be all in, or we can just be going through the motions. We're going through the motions is very dangerous. This is what Paul warns to the Corinthians. Bringing judgment upon yourself. You don't understand and know. This is something you're, you're asking for that Passover meal. The judgment is coming. Is he going to pass over you through the blood? Do you really believe that? If you don't, you're asking for judgment to come upon you. You're going to stand by yourself without the blood. That's a dangerous place to be without the blood of Jesus covering you and washing your sins away. Do you believe in faith? So there's something that is very deep when we take communion together that unites us with Jesus and unites us with one another. And this is the common faith that we have, is that we're united with Christ. We're in with Christ. His words to us are spirit and life. And there is no one else to turn to. There's not option B. We're not just going through the motions. So do this in remembrance of me. Remember his death and remember that past event. We remember how much he loved us and what he went through on the cross. His suffering for us, we remember that in the past. But it's also something in the present. He presently is our sustainer. He is our present strength. He is presently holding us up. And not only is he holding us up, he's infusing us together to encourage one another and to be encouraged by one another. He's doing that. That's what we do. Celebrate the Lord's Supper together. 
He's fusing us more and more together for himself, and he's fusing us more and more together as members of his body. Thank you, Jesus. We worship him. We can worship him. We can come here and just offer up a sacrifice of praise through the lips, give thanks to his name. I need somebody to use me tonight. And I need help in my life. I need encouragement in my life. I need you. Like I need Christ. I need his body. Like I need him. I need him. I need you. But I'm not going to make it. I need communion over and over and over again to remind me I need Jesus. I need Christ. I need my union with him. I need it to be restored and restrengthened this week, and I'll need it again next week. And I'll need the encouragement of the saints taking and partaking of the Lord's Supper together to remind them of I need you. I'm connected to him only. I'm connected to him, and I'm connected to you. With our fingers, toes, nails, feet, and our union. Remember. And then there's this future aspect to the Lord's Supper. First Corinthians 11.26 in our text, we read that as far as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Did you hear that? Until he returns, there's this future aspect of taking communion that we're reminded of. Now, in Matthew, if you read each account of Jesus celebrating the Lord's Supper with his disciples, there's a few really different sentences in there. But in Matthew, he emphasizes this future aspect. He says, I tell you, this is Matthew 26, verse 29, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine. Just take your communion with me. I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day. What's that day? When I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. See, there's that future aspect. I found this to me the most glorious. And in our Tuesday morning, Ben's Bible study, we kind of got into this aspect of it because it's just fun to dream about and think about. Jesus, I'm not drinking from the fruit of the vine again until we get there. Our finger Jesus, no, I'm not drinking this cup again until I drink it new with you in heaven. So we have to something with the Lamb. The feast of the Lamb, we actually sing about it today. This meal of, this, of, the, of the wedding supper of the Lamb. With these words, he directed them to this future dimension of the Lord's Supper as a sign pointing forward to the great day of anticipation. It's a foretaste of the marriage supper of the Lamb and the everlasting feast believers will enjoy with Christ in glory. It's a, it's a beautiful figure of that. Wigan Duncan said, In the Lord's Supper, we anticipate the glory to come in glory when the great end has come. And he says on that day, he will bid us all to recline. Just like the disciples reclined on the night of the Lord's Supper, he will gird himself up and serve us. And you think, oh no, what's he talking about? Here's what Luke 12, 37 said. Jesus is talking about his return. He said, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. I admit it. The Lord's Supper, when we anticipate the marriage supper of the Lamb, when we sit down with one another in glory, with Jesus, and serve us. And we 
say yes. Yes. It explains the past. It explains the present. It explains the future to come. We're going to sing the closing song to praise the name. It says, I cast my mind to Calvary, where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds. Can you see them? Are his words life to you? Are they spirit? Do you see his wounds? His hands? Do you see his hands? Do you see his feet? Do you see the spike that he put through them? I see his wounds, his hands, his feet. Jesus
You like it? Decided to learn the board. And, yeah, I do. I like it. I like well, you know, it. I did worship for years and years. I'm glad to be down. Yeah. <laughs> I'm praising instead of. Uh, I like the control. <laughs> <laughs> that needs to be louder. Teresa, I was going to say, 
going to bring a salad. You want me to bring a cake or dessert instead? I think so. Okay. Do I have to bring a cake or can I bring anything? Well, I have not gotten people to bring the sheet cakes, so I'm thinking settings, audio, and see how it says internal speakers. Okay. It should say X Live. So, the sound is going to be so great on this one because I forgot to check it before. Now. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so, just so you know, you know, maybe you can help me remember. Oh, Maybe you can help me remember to check that. Okay. Well, maybe we need to do it before. Okay. I don't know. You don't want to do it now. We probably have to be out of. Uh, 